Isn't God good? And God is amazing. God is amazing in that he can take a little thing like inviting a neighbor to something and transform a life and a marriage and give a purpose to life. And all of you who know Tom and Millie know a lot more behind that story. And yes, Tom was here many, 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 many hours keeping our big old boiler burning until we could <laughs> finally afford another one. And, um, and so many other ways that so many of you have, have served and found purpose. And God is good. You know, we were singing, Akuna Mungu Kamawewe, which means there is no God like you. And there is no God like our God for a thousand generations from Abraham and before to now. And all over the world in all kinds of languages, God and Jesus is being praised right now because there is no other God like that who can take your life and transform it and give it purpose and meaning to your, to your work, to your marriage, to your everything, um, to your sexuality. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, to your, to your money, to other things we're going to be talking about as we go forward here. But I, I just want to welcome you to the family. Welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. We're glad each of you is here, each of you who are members of the family, each of you who are strangers. We say this is a place where strangers become friends and friends become family. It's a house of prayer for all nations. That's part of why we're singing a little Swahili and a little Lingala. Thank you, uh, Pastor Justin, for telling me that umama means to glorify. To be glorified, right. So Yahweh umama was to be glorified, so uh, I didn't know the Lingala. Um, I caught the Swahili song, but uh, this is a place where we get to praise God in all kinds of different languages because he's worthy in every language. He's worthy in every generation. And, you know, some people are like, oh, that was, that was then. That was for old people. But you know what? God's got a thousand generations ahead, whether we're here or in eternity, that uh, are going to be praising God and having lives transformed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment, this chance that we have to come to your word with our lives. We pray that you would help us to be honest about our lives to you. We pray that you'd help us to submit to your word, to hear what it says to us, and to let you do your work. We pray for Andrew now, Lord, that you would help him to speak your word. Speak what you want him to say, to not speak what you don't want him to say, to speak that which you want to use in our lives. Thank you for the work that you've done in his life. And we pray that you would speak to us now and help us to trust you, to obey you, to love you, and to seek you as a result. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm Pastor Andrew, associate pastor here, and ask Pastor to Steve to pray for me. I'll be honest, I, I do a lot of public speaking, but this one, uh, this one has me a little more nervous than, uh, than the usual. You'll see why in a bit here. Uh, so we are in the middle of a series um, called Just Sex, Just Money, Just Power. As part of our year of living justice, you know, justice is one of those buzzwords out there. Everybody's using it. Everyone's talking about it. And, uh, but what does it actually mean? And in particular, what does it mean for uh, Christians? What, what, how, how are we supposed to understand justice through a biblical lens? What does that actually 
what does that actually mean for us? So, um, so that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna get into. Um, <clears throat> the uh, these three areas. There's all kinds of areas that um, Christians uh, mess up with <laughs> when it comes to justice, uh, where we actually spread injustice instead of justice. Uh, but these are three areas we pick to focus on uh, during the fall because uh, these are areas that we tend to exalt as idols. Uh, this, uh, if you're not familiar with this image, this is a ancient Near Eastern ziggurat. It was a, a pyramid that they built in the ancient uh, Near East. Uh, they weren't as big as the Egyptian pyramids, but they were pretty big, and they would put an idol, a statue, at the very top of this staircase, the very pinnacle of the uh, ziggurat, and, uh, and, and, and then they, would, they, they thought that the staircase was, uh, was their access into heaven, access to the realm of the gods. And uh, so, symbolically, we just put these three things, sex, money, and power, up here, because these are areas that we in our culture, including Christians, have turned into idols. So, uh, um, and, and so we're spending this first few weeks of this fall on uh, one of these idols, uh, and we're calling it just sex. So, last week, uh, my beautiful wife and I got to share the message together, and the reason it was a good message was my wife was the one helping me share it, so um, so you'll have to be patient when it's just me this time. But uh, last week, we went over 10 myths that Christians believe about sex, and uh, judging from the conversations I've had with many of you over the week, it generated a lot of interest, a lot of concern, a lot of co- uh, controversy, a lot of questions, a lot of comments, so that hopefully it's a good thing. People were engaging with it. The last myth that we said was uh, this one. We said that um, it's a myth to say that sexual purity's greatest enemy is too much desire. In other words, there's a lot of Christians who uh, believe that if I just had less desire, if my desire was reduced, then I would have greater success in the area of sexual purity, greater success in uh, sexual behavior, greater success in my mind, in my heart, my affections. But last week we said this was a myth. It is actually not true to say that sexual purity's greatest enemy is uh, too much desire. In fact, we claimed last week that the opposite is the case. Uh, we quoted from uh, C.S. Lewis last week. He said, he said this, we are half hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. It's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is like or what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Uh, A few weeks ago, I used a similar analogy uh, when we were talking about the book of Deuteronomy, and I said that um, uh, it's like you've been offered an all-expense-paid VIP uh, tour of, a week-long tour of Disney World, and instead of choosing that, which was totally free of cost to you, uh, instead, you chose to use your vacation sitting in a dirty sandbox, playing with some broken plastic toys filled with cat poop 
Um, that, that was how you spent your vacation instead of the, uh, taking advantage of this all-expense-paid VIP tour of, of Disney World. Um, Francis Chan wrote this, um, our lack of intimacy with God causes a void that we try to fill with the frailest of substitutes, like wealth or pleasure or fame or respect, like people, like marriage even. I'm going to read that again. Our lack of intimacy with God causes a void that we try to fill with the frailest of substitutes, like wealth or pleasure, like fame or respect, like people, like marriage. And so what I want to say this morning is that our struggle with sexual temptation, our struggle with sexual purity, our struggle uh, to uh, sort of um, channel our affections and our desires in the right direction is not because we have too much desire, it's because we have too little desire. And it's because we settle for something far, far less than what God actually wants to give us. Psalm 31, verse 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. How abundant is your goodness. He even says the word oh at the beginning, like, oh, I can't even get my mind around this. I can't even get my imagination around this. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you store up for those who fear you. And as long as we settle, my argument this morning, my contention this morning is that we will continue to be allured and entrapped by sexual sin as long as we continue to settle for something so much smaller than what God has in store for us. And so the solution is not less desire. The solution is actually more desire. The solution is actually uh, we, we need desire that's stronger than the desire we have for mere sex. We need a pleasure that's greater. We need a comfort that's more comforting if the gift of sexuality is going to find its proper place in our lives. So, practically speaking, what on earth does this mean? Now, I'm often criticized for not being practical enough in my sermons, and I will uh, concede that I'm not very practical. Um, and so I, I, really, I, I really thought about this. Uh, I could have made the sermon full of very practical tips and techniques and tricks and how-tos. Uh, I could have done that. But here's the problem if we start with that. The problem if we start with that, so I, I've, got, I've got weeds, of course, in, all over my yard, but uh, the weeds in the main part of my yard, I can just dig those out by the roots. But then I've got these other weeds in my back alley. In my back alley, the weeds are coming out of these cracks in the cement. And that means their roots are encased in the cement. And so I can't actually pull them out by the roots. All I can do is just chop off what's coming out of the ground, which, of course, means the next season they're going to come back out even bigger and stronger because their roots have just grown underneath. And uh, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do about my back alley problem with weeds. But the, the point is this. A lot of us, if we don't, if we just stick with the tips and the techniques and the tricks, 
We're going to be like me in my back alley trying to lop off, trying to cut off what's coming out of the ground because I can't actually get at the root. Does that make sense? So we need to get at the root before we can give you all the little tricks and techniques and fun how-tos and all that stuff. Um, if we just stick with the tricks and techniques, all that ends up being really is what we call sin management, where you're just kind of managing the sin. You're not actually getting at the root. You're not getting underneath it. You're just kind of juggling and playing with uh, how to do the damage control around it. That makes, that makes sense. All right? So today we're going to try to get at the heart of what's underneath our ongoing struggle with sin. And to get at the heart, this is why I had Pastor Steve come and pray for me, I uh, decided, a little bit reluctantly actually, that I needed to share a little bit more of my own story of my journey to sexual wholeness. So I'm a little nervous, if you could imagine. (laughs) All right. I'll just have fun with my nervousness. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for for laughing. I need that. Thank you. Thank you, Tavi. I knew I'd get Tavi in there. Very good. All right. Keep it light. Keep me from... Focusing on myself. Okay, um, so I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of my journey. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to share everything, uh, but I'm going to share some of it. Uh, and my, my journey is really about, um, it was a journey to sexual wholeness from a, um, a place of real sexual brokenness and real bondage to sexual brokenness. And uh, I was really entrapped in my teen years to uh, sexual brokenness. And, um, you know, I wrestled with how specific to get with you guys. Um, I, I, I decided, I'm, in the end, not to get too specific. Uh, the, the problem is, if I'm, if I'm too specific, there's some of you uh, who, will, who will say, um, well, then that doesn't apply to me. Uh, oh, yeah, Pastor Andrew struggled with that, but I didn't struggle with that, so I struggled with this, so what he said doesn't apply to me. So it's actually helpful to you if I'm a little more vague um, so you don't just dismiss what I'm going to say this morning. Um, and also I want to spare, you don't need that in your head, okay? So just, <clears throat> that's it's a good thing for me to spare you some of the specifics. Um, now, of course, uh, if, if I'm not specific enough, you know, some of you are going to also want to dismiss that and say, well, I don't even know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's referring to. So uh, it must not be something I, I struggle with. Uh, you know, for years, uh, I, you know, Paul's thorn in the, in the flesh in 2 Corinthians, um, uh, he talks about this thorn in his flesh, this struggle, and he never revealed what it was. And, uh, uh, and that always really bothered me. And I, and I remember wishing, like, oh, I, I wish uh, he would reveal that, what that was, because then I, I would know that, you know, I struggle with that too, and that would give me some hope. But actually, over time, I began to realize it's actually a good thing that Paul the Apostle uh, kind of left a blank for us, because then that gives room for all of us, everybody, what, no matter what the nature of our struggle is, it gives room for all of us to kind of fill in the blank and say, oh yeah, that's, uh, uh, maybe, maybe what helped him could help me too, all right? So the, the principles I'm going to share this morning are fairly universal, and it, they don't just apply to sexual struggle, they actually apply to um, uh, pretty much any kind of struggle anyone could go through. And so, uh, so actually, this morning the burden's on you guys to figure out how this applies to you, 
all right? And that's actually good for you, by the way. Um, some, some people, you know, they just want the, 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 the uh, preacher to kind of spoon-feed them the application, uh, and, and that can be good, but, but it's actually better for you uh, if you got to do a little bit of work figuring out how this applies to you, okay? All right, so, um, so I, um, my teen years, I was, uh, I was very trapped in sexual brokenness, um, I uh, didn't have any kind of restraints growing up. My, my parents, they had grown up Catholic, and then they decided when they had kids, we don't want any of that religious mumbo-jumbo, so they threw it all out the window. And my parents, my, my brothers and I were raised in a completely secular environment. I, don't, I can't think of one Christian I knew. I, can't, I had no exposure to church or anything like that. Um, and uh, um, in that sort of vacuum of any kind of uh, restraint or, or boundaries around uh, sex or sexuality, it was kind of this open door for me, and uh, it, there was all kinds of invitations to all kinds of sexual uh, exploration. Uh, in addition to that, I was in this larger secular culture where you were expected by uh, sixth grade, if you were a sixth grade boy, you were expected to already be an expert on sex. Um, so, uh, yeah, <clears throat> imagine how informed that was. Um, and, and unfortunately, I, I, there were sixth graders uh, my age who um, uh, you know, had struggled with STDs. There were pregnancies, abortions, all kinds of stuff starting there because there, there were no boundaries at all. Now, <clears throat> uh, I, I do want to say this um, about that. Now, sometimes I talk to Christians who were raised in Christian homes where there were boundaries, and I kind of hear them lament a little bit, like, oh, what was me? I was so repressed. So um, first off, you're not missing anything, okay? I just want to be clear. You really aren't missing anything, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. Last week, we also said that it's a myth to believe that some people are more sexually broken than others. Now, my expression of sexual brokenness was more severe than many people who were raised differently than I was. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we all didn't start out in that similar broken place. I, I want to just say this about brokenness. Last week I read from Romans chapter 1. I just want to briefly read from that again. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Um, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies for one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is to be uh, forever praised. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Now, when Paul's writing here, he's talking about everybody. He's talking about how everybody is broken, and it's a brokenness that he pl plainly says it right here. It impacted our sexuality. So even though you may have been spared from more, some, some of the more dr drastic or dramatic or, or, or troubling consequences of sexual impurity, uh, there's still a brokenness that we all have to deal with, and we all have to go to the cross uh, together with that brokenness. So, um, so, so all of us have that. The the um, uh, because of uh, the this idolatry, God says there was this exchanging 
of, uh, God, of glorifying God for glorifying the creation. Because of that, uh, all of us are like, uh, the image of God in us in, is broken. It's very true to say that all of us are made in the image of God. It is also equally true to say that the image of God in all of us has been broken. Uh, and we're actually born with the broken image of God in us. So what that means is, you know, part of the idea of of an image is we're supposed to be this pure, clear mirror, and when God looks at us, uh, he's supposed to see his own beauty, his own glory reflected back. But instead, because of the brokenness inside of us, uh, like this uh, this, uh, image here uh, shows, instead of the pure image of God, what bounces back is light has been refracted, it's been twisted, it's been bent. And that is the case for all of us. So I praise God if you were spared some of the worst consequences of sexual brokenness, but we all still struggle with this um, on the inside. And then in addition to the brokenness inside, there's brokenness outside. Um, uh, the, the, the world, spiritually speaking, is a little bit like what, has, what a town looks like after a tornado has hit it. Things aren't working right. Things aren't working as they're supposed to be working. And so not only is there sexual brokenness inside of us, there's sexual brokenness around us. We're swimming in it. Um, so uh, back to my story. Um, I was very open to sexual exploration of all kinds, no inner or outer restraints, uh, quickly became entrapped. Um, and uh, um, both inwardly in my affections, my imagination, and outwardly in my behavior. Um, and uh, the, and, and I want to ask, because people ask this question all the time, well, what was so bad about that? Why was that out of line with God's justice? Um, and, and this is important for Christians to kind of figure this out now because we're being asked this all the time. Well, why are those sexual boundaries important and why would breaking those sexual boundaries, uh, why, why does that twist or bend God's, God's uh, justice? Especially our culture today likes to view um, sexual uh, acting out of almost any kind. That We like to view that as sort of a victimless crime almost, like as if people aren't hurt by that. Um, but I, I, I want to just clarify a couple things about that. Um, uh, you guys remember, uh, at one point, Jesus summarizes the entire law, all 613 commands. You guys remember that? Does anyone remember, he, he said, uh, that the second command that summarizes the law, anyone remember what that command is that summarizes all of it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So um, uh, let me ask you uh, this question. Um, when, uh, when sex is pursued outside of God's boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman, let me ask this. Is there ever a time outside of those boundaries when the pursuit of um, sexual activity does not involve even subtly exploiting the other person, or even subtly manipulating the other person, or even subtly seducing the other person. And by seducing, I mean trying to persuade them to do something that maybe their better judgment 
might not think is the best thing to do. You, is, is, can, can you think of a time when, and, and I'm, I'm talking about even subtly, all right, there's obviously very overt and destructive ways that uh, people exploit and manipulate and seduce each other, um, going as far as even uh, going against somebody's will, taking advantage of them. Um, but are, are there times when, or can, can you think of a time where it doesn't involve even subtly exploiting or manipulating somebody else? And, um, and, and how can we call that loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves? How can, how can we say, if, it, if anything involves even a hint of exploiting or manipulating or seducing other people, how can we call that loving somebody else, even though it seems normal? In other words, that's, our culture accepts it even now. Increasingly, the culture of the church accepts that. How can we, it seems normal, but how can we call that loving our neighbor as ourself? Now, even when I, or even when other people aren't acting out on it with another person, there's something even more subtle that's going on inside with uh, sexual fantasies, with um, uh, sexual affections, and that is when we dehumanize another person. When I say dehumanize, I mean we, we take, you know, God made each of us to be this very complex, multi-dimensional being that has all kinds of gifts but also, and strengths, but also shortcomings. And we take all that complexity and we reduce them down into something less than what they were. And so even, so sometimes, uh, for example, pornography gets called a victimless crime. But what's happening inside of you when you're, in order to feel okay about satisfying your sexual lust with that imaginary person or that image of that person, there's a dehumanizing that's happening inside of you. And then is it any surprise? Jesus said this. He said, uh, uh, we speak out of the overflow of our heart. In other words, our actions and our words, they come out of what's welling up inside of our heart. And so if we're dehumanizing people inside of our hearts that does come out somehow. It might not come out uh, every time, all the time, but it is going to come out some subtle way that we're going to dehumanize other people. And we wonder why it's such a struggle for us to have good relationships. So that's the more obvious way that we break that first command. Um, uh, And so uh, Pastor Steve always puts these uh, images up um, we were created to have these just relationships with other people and with God, but our rebellion against God has destroyed these relationships. Um, and it's a little more obvious how um, sexual immorality, sexual impurity, and brokenness leads to breaking the second commandment. But does anybody remember the first commandment? Yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And so... What was happening for me was that I, because of my own captivity to sexual brokenness, I had no room in my heart for God. There wasn't room there for God to be in charge. Um, And I actually looked to the pleasure of sex to meet a whole bunch of needs, not just, the. of course, I was 
looking to meet the needs of my, my need for pleasure. All of us are created with a need for pleasure. That's a legitimate need. But I was looking to sex for that need. And I was also looking to sex for romance. And, I, you know, that, I, that, that uh, feeling of being sort of swept up with somebody else and you get to enjoy this special reality with just another person for a while. I was looking to sex for relief from boredom and from loneliness. I was looking to sex for that, that need of being wanted. Everybody wants to be wanted, and sex seemed like a quick ticket to that being met. Um, my need for inclusion. Uh, sex seemed like a quick ticket to feeling included. Uh, it seemed like a quick ticket to feeling accepted. And, of course, it seemed like a ticket to that all, always elusive feeling of being loved. And so sex was, and, and sexual affections, they, it wasn't just sex itself. It was all these other needs that I was trying to get met through them. And you see, God has created a Jesus-centered universe. He's created a universe where Jesus is the middle of it. I'm going to read first, or sorry, Colossians chapter 1 briefly, um, starting in verse 15. It says, the Son, I want you to listen to this, and I want you to think about where God is placing Jesus of importance in the universe. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. <clears throat> and so God made a Jesus-centered universe, but like what it says in Romans 1, the passage I read earlier, we've turned it into a creation-centered universe. And sex is one of those ways when, 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 we, uh, when we idolize sex like I was doing, we turn it into, uh, we, we join with this of turning, going away from a Jesus-centered universe to a creation-centered universe. Well, <clears throat> um, I did eventually become a Christian. I heard the gospel when I was uh, 16, but it took me two years to actually surrender my life to Jesus. It wasn't until I was 18 when I finally accepted him as my Lord and my Savior. I bowed my knee to him. I gave my life over to him. I said, I'm going to be your disciple. I'm going to follow you. It took me two years. There was a lot of reasons for that long, slow delay. But one of the reasons was I knew, I, 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 as I was learning about the gospel, I, um, I knew that there needed to be some kind of change in my life. But I thought, especially about the area of my sexuality and my sexual expression and my sexual brokenness, I thought, I don't think that can change. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't really think that that's possible. I've already tried to change it. I've already tried to clean up my act. I've already tried to transform myself, and that wasn't really working. And so 
uh, so Jesus did draw me to himself, but it took two years of me doing this for, uh, as, as he was dragging me inch by inch closer to him, uh, eventually I did surrender my life to him, and he did give me supernatural grace to um, repent from uh, acting out uh, um, with other people um, uh, my sexual brokenness. So that was a beautiful thing. I, I thank God for that. But um, there was still something that I couldn't shake, and that was what was going on inside of me. That was, that was the sexual brokenness that was inside of me that I was still, um, uh, I was still in bondage to. Uh, and so let me just describe this, uh, this cycle that I was, I was in um, for a while, even though I had surrendered my life to Jesus. Um, what, what would happen is I, I would, um, lust would flare up inside of me. Um, I would uh, become um, uh, sort of swept away by that. And then afterwards, I would, I would vow oh, I'm never going to do that again. I'd rededicate my life to God. I'd accept the forgiveness of God, and everything was fine for a few days or at best a few weeks. And then lust would come up again and drag me down with it again. And uh, even though I wasn't acting out on it with other people inside, uh, it was still, I was still in bondage to it. And so, um, and this went on for a good year or so. And... Um, and then, finally, a couple things happened, um, very significant, um, in my, my first year of being uh, a Christian. Uh, so I, I started college over here, McAllister College, and uh, the whole reason I started coming here was I could walk here. It was that, that spiritual. Um, uh, it wasn't like a cloud led me over here or any, had a vision or anything. I was like, oh, I could walk. Okay, Finally. Um, new Christian, didn't know anything. I didn't even know, I didn't know what kind of church, I didn't know there were different kinds of churches, uh, anything. But, um, started coming here, and, um, and I don't even remember what the sermon was about, but, um, I, there, I, I remember, um, I, I, I had one particular Sunday morning here, um, I felt like God said there was hope for me, and, um, uh, and so I, I came down for prayer, and I remember Gene Van Veldhuizen. He was one of our elders uh, at the time. He's now an elder at Cross Culture Community Church. He uh, he prayed for me, and 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 for the first time, this little pinprick of hope uh, entered uh, my life that that I could break free of this cycle that was going on. Um, but I didn't break free right away, um, uh, and and so it continued for months and months. Well, finally, kind of late in that year. I was in a, a Bible study at uh, uh, the Christian Fellowship on campus, and we were studying the book of Isaiah. Um, I had never um, read anything in the Old Testament yet. I'd barely read anything in the New Testament. And um, we were reading along, and I, I, I want to—I'm um, going to read just a piece of it because I, I want you to hear how beautiful this is. But um, in Isaiah 43, uh, Isaiah writes this, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel— uh, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. <clears throat> when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you afl- ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, 
I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Now this is the verse, verse 7, that really made my jaw drop because I'd, I'd never encountered an idea like this before. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So remember, a little bit ago, I said that God made this Jesus-centered universe, but we've turned it into a creation-centered universe. And this verse is the first time I'd encountered this truth as a new Christian, that I was made for God's glory. Now, the reason why this filled me with such hope for the, for the first time, especially regarding my bondage to um, sexual impurity, sexual brokenness, was because I realized at this moment that part of what was holding me, keeping me in bondage, was that I thought life was all about me. I thought life was about satisfying my needs. Life was about getting my needs and my interests and my concerns met. And here was this completely different uh, view of reality that life was actually about God's glory. And so I realized but the first big discovery I made was this idea that my sexuality was actually created not for me. My sexuality was actually created along with everything else in my life. My sexuality was actually created for the glory of God. And it filled me with hope because that meant I could bring this God who had made me in my sexuality for his glory, I could bring him the shatteredness, the brokenness of my sexuality, and I could trust that this God who had made everything about himself in his own glory, he could actually repair it and give me back something that he put together for his own glory. And here, here I was, I'd, I'd been trying to like, I'd had all these shards, these broken pieces of my sexuality, and I was trying to piece them together on my own to figure out how, where do they fit and where do they go and how does it go, come together. And instead, if I would hand it to him, he would put it together according to his own plan and according to his own purpose and hand me back something that was far more beautiful and wonderful if I would acknowledge that my sexuality was created for his glory. So, <clears throat> moving on, um, this filled me with hope. It gave me a new sense of fight, a new sense of maybe there is a grace from God to overcome, um, but things did not change overnight. Um, uh, certainly, um, I, I, I felt like I had some new tools and some more grace from God and some more energy, but the cycle still continued. Um, those seasons, those, the uh, purity maybe went from a few days to a few weeks sometimes, but uh, I, I didn't at that point come to a fully overcome um, uh, the, the sexual brokenness. And then finally, about a year after this, so this is now, this is the spring of my sophomore year at McAllister College, and um, I'd seen God do some amazing things in my life that year, uh, but this was still an area that I felt wasn't fully given over to him. 
and I, I didn't know how to break free from it on my own. And so I, I remember where I was when I came across an, another part of the Bible, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read that. It's from Psalm 16. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the, on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor shall I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever more. So discovery number two for me was that there is fullness of joy in God. Remember, I'd shown you that picture where I was looking to sex for meeting all these other needs, all these other concerns, my need for pleasure, my need for joy, my need for all kinds of things. And and yet, here's God saying, there is fullness of joy in me. There are pleasures forevermore in my right hand. And so, kind of going back to that C.S. Lewis quote, kind of like the kid who is, is focused on his mud pies in a slum because he can't even imagine the glories and the beauties of the vacation at the seashore, kind of like the, uh, the, the person who goes, uh, spends his vacation in the cat poop-filled uh, sandbox because he can't imagine a VIP, all-expense-paid um, trip to Disney World, um, I was stuck with these tiny... I was settling, you guys. I was settling for something far, far less than the fullness of joy God had in store for me, than the pleasures forevermore that God wanted to give me. And so, you know, there, I, I, I said before, there's all these tips and techniques and tricks and all kinds of things we can do to kind of manage our, our, our lust and our sexual brokenness, and they can all work, but the heart of it is this. The heart is that you would find in Jesus all the beauty, all the glory, all the joy that your soul needs. God made you to need pleasure. God made you to desire goodness, to desire delight. God made you for that. 
but he wants to give you, in order to satisfy that, he wants to give you himself. He wants to give you the glory and the beauty of his own presence so that you can experience not just a little bit of joy, not just a moment of pleasure, not just a little bit of fun stuff that passes away quickly and makes you feel empty afterwards. He wants to give you this fullness of joy. And that, you guys, this, this remains, all these other tips and techniques I know about that are good, this remains the battlefront for me. This remains the battlefront for anyone who wants to walk free, who wants to walk in liberty. <clears throat> um, every day I say to myself, uh, this is from Psalm 63, God, your loving kindness is better than life. When a temptation comes up, uh, something that looks really enticing to me, sexually or otherwise, I remind myself, God, your loving kindness is better than even that. I, I, could, I could imagine some pretty amazing, wonderful, um, fun times, and yet the loving kindness of the Lord is better than even life itself. That is what God is inviting you to. That's what he's inviting me to, is this experience of the fullness of joy. Later in the same psalm, David says, my soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness. Satisfied. That's this idea of he's got, he's got fat dripping down his, his lips because, uh, and, and, and he's totally satisfied. He doesn't need anything else because he's satisfied in the goodness God has for him. Now, I know some people are going to object at this point, and they're going to say, okay, that's really nice. You're still not being practical enough for me. Again, this is the heart of it, not all the practical details. But I, And some of you are going to say, okay, but what if I don't desire God? Okay? What if, what if I haven't yet discovered uh, how, how strong and wonderful and delightful uh, and, and joy-filled the presence of God is? couple things that you might be facing. Number one, you, like me, might be distracted by an idol. Idols are always trying to get us to uh, distract us from the real glory of God's presence and get us to fix it, you know, and and I'm I'm totally, I'm undiagnosed ADHD. I, I see something shiny. I'm like, ooh, shiny. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the worst. I'm the biggest distracted person, and that's exactly how idols work. Um, is they give you a little bit of shine, a little bit of shimmer, make, ooh, shiny, and then we're just sucked into it, okay? So it could be that you're distracted by an idol. Um, it could be that you haven't yet really savored, taken the time and the energy and the effort to savor the goodness of God. So a lot of people, they shout hallelujah when they're saved and they realize they've been forgiven of their sins, and that is beautiful. Did you know if salvation were like a giant palace with thousands of rooms, that moment of first realizing that your sins were taken away, that's like the entryway. That's the entryway. The palace remains unexplored. And so many of us stay in the entryway and we're like, yeah, this is really cool. Well, after you've been a, a Christian for a while, it's still really cool. But you're also like, oh, it's kind of boring. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's not actually boring if you really let the truth of it sink in. But you have yet to explore 
this palace filled with room after room of delight after delight. God is inviting you and I into a fullness of joy. And just because you can't imagine it yet, this, this is where you and I need to say, God, expand my imagination. I can't imagine a, a holiday at the sea. I can't imagine a VIP all-expense-paid trip to Disney World. So God, supernaturally, give me imagination for it because right now, all I can see is this mud pie. All I can see is the broken plastic toys in this cat poop-filled sandbox. That's, all I, that's, the, that's as far as my imagination can go. Um, it could also be that you haven't yet tied your happiness to the political rise of Jesus as king of the, and, and savior of the universe. Now, what do I mean by that? All right. I noticed in the last election cycle, there were a lot of people who tied their happiness to whichever political party seemed to rise or fall. And then I saw their happiness being dragged along one way or the other, depending on where they had tied their happiness. Does that make sense? Okay. I see, of course, we see this more often in um, uh, sports, Okay. Uh, people will tie their happiness to a sports team, and if their team is doing well, does it matter what else is going on in their life? That team wins, what? and they are happy, right? They've t- yeah, yay, Vikings, yay, yeah, all right? So, uh, and the same is true, the sports team is doing poorly, and where's their happiness? It doesn't matter how good the rest of their life is. They are depressed that day, okay? Um, you guys get what I'm talking about? Okay, so if Jesus has been exalted as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and, excuse me, been given authority over all things and all the angels in the universe are surrounding him with praise and he has won the victory over our sin and over death even and reversed the course of death and has triumphed over all of his enemies, it's possible that we're not entering into his joy because we haven't tied our happiness to his political rise as king of kings and lord of lords. Is that, is that hitting anybody? Is that analogy hitting anybody? A few people. Okay. All right. We'll move on to the next thing. <clears throat> the last possibility, if you're feeling like you can't enter into the joy of God, might be that you aren't yet born again. Now, when a person is born again, it's an old phrase, Jesus used it, he made it up. Um, when a person is reborn, they get new spiritual taste buds, okay? Um, not actual taste buds on your, but your spirit suddenly can taste something that you couldn't taste before. And if you truly can't taste the joy of God that all these other people are talking about, it is possible that you have not yet been reborn, and you don't yet have the Holy Spirit inside of you giving you these new spiritual taste buds. Now is a great day to be reborn. Now is a great day to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I do believe in you. I do surrender my life to you as my Lord and my Savior. I do believe that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I want to give you my life, and I want to follow you, Jesus, and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to come inside of you and give you new spiritual taste buds so that you can taste and feel and experience what you could not taste or feel before. 
But how is all of this done? How does all of this happen? <clears throat> so, I already talked about that. Um, you see, I want to just make this one point and then go on to my third discovery. Um, when I discover the joy of the Lord, I realize that I could release my grip from my sexual brokenness. Instead of seeing it as the answer to all these things, I was able to, I, see, I was holding on to it like a rope. And I was able to release it when I discovered that God had something so much bigger and so much better for me. But here's how we, any of us access all of this grace. I'm going to read this from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, I want you to, I'm going to read that part again, because only one person said amen, all right? It says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, you may not have had the level of sexual brokenness that I had, but like I said, we're all born sexually broken, and all of us have some form of brokenness, whether it's sexual or otherwise, and we all lived among them, gratifying our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature's objects of wrath. And then the word uh, in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. The first thing you and I need to realize, if we're going to enter into the freedom God has for us, if we're going to enter into the fullness of joy, is we need to realize, we need to receive God's grace, God's power, we need to receive it by his grace. What does that mean? That means, according to this passage I just read, it was because you cleaned up your act and got everything together before he saved you. Thank you, Sister Gwender. said, mm-mm. mm It is because of his great love for us. And it is because God is rich in mercy. That's the reason why I became, instead of an object of wrath, an object of God's favor and kindness. That's why you can become an object of God's favor and kindness, because of his great love and because he is rich in mercy. So the first thing you need to get through your head, the first thing I need to get through my head is it is by grace. It is by grace. I'm going to read on how you access it in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You and I 
need to exercise that little mustard seed of faith that we've all been given. And all it takes is a mustard seed, guys. That's what Jesus said. Those are his words. A mustard seed of faith. Exercise that little mustard seed of faith and put that little bit of faith he's given you in him. When, when I realized this truth that there's fullness of joy in the presence of God, I, need to take, I needed to take my little mustard seed of faith and I needed to place that mustard seed of faith in God and say, God, and admit, I don't really believe this. I don't really believe this. I, I'm choosing, I'm settling for this lesser thing and I'm in bondage to this lesser thing because I, and I'm settling for it because I don't really believe, I don't really have the faith to believe that there's fullness of joy in your presence. If you would take just that mustard seed of faith that God's given you and place it in him, he, you would, you would have access to this grace that God has for you and me. Um, I'm going to have Annette and where's Jeremy? Jeremy, Jeremy? Jeremy, Jeremy, thank you. Come on up. Um, we're, some of you think better with singing, so before we have the rest of the worship team come up, if you would open your hymnals. We haven't done this for a long time. Yes, there's a book in front of you behind the Bible. It's bigger than the Bible. It's called a hymnal. It's got some oldies and goodies in it that the church has embraced for years and years. Um, turn to number 240, 240. All right? We're going we're gonna to sing the truth that I've been talking about. Okay? We're going to sing the truth because uh, for some of you, that's, you're going to connect with that more easily if we sing the truth. Okay? So Psalm, sorry, Psalm, hymn 240, hymn 240, it's called Fairest Lord Jesus, and there's not words for this up on the screen, um, there's just, it's right in front of you in the hymn book, so some of you are going to have to share. Um, I have a terrible voice, so we're going to have um, Miss Annette, first we're just going to listen to Jeremy play it once through, um, and we're just going to listen, let the Holy Spirit open our hearts as we listen, and and uh, so... Go ahead, Jeremy. Annette joining. We're going to sing the first verse of that. See what the Holy Spirit does in your heart.
So before we sing the rest of that, I hope you were noticing the words. This song is singing the truth I've just been talking about. In this song, we're invited to prefer the beauty, the glory, the loveliness of Jesus over whatever it is we've been settled, whatever it is we've settled for. If you look at verse 2, it says, it, it talks about, oh, there's all these other beautiful things like um, the, the beautiful springtime, and it's so wonderful. But then it says, Jesus is better than that. And the next verse, verse 3, talks about how amazing and, and, and glorious the, the sun is, and even more beautiful than that is the moon, and even more, more beautiful than that is the twinkling stars. And then it says, guess what's even more beautiful than that? Jesus. He's more beautiful than the twinkling stars. He outshines the sun. He outshines the moon. And that last verse, the, the whoever wrote this, by this time they were just overcome. All they could say was, beautiful Savior. I'm going to invite you this morning, as, we're, as we sing through the rest of this verse, I'm going to invite you to prefer Jesus in your affections, in your imagination, in your heart, in, in the part in you that treasures something. Prefer his beauty and watch and see and behold how it outshines everything else. You could lead us through this.
to pray for those who would like prayer, but we want to release you now. I want to pray that the Jesus who outshines even the angels, the Jesus who outshines all the stars in heaven, the Jesus who outshines the moonlight and the sunlight, would outshine everything else in your life, and that you would go in his power, in his grace, And you would shine that light in your life this week in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most of us, we can't even do this on our own, can we? We we want to desire the right thing. We want to desire God. We we get that this has transformed Millie's life and Tom's life and Andrew's life and we want to be transformed that way, but we can't do it. It's by grace from God, through faith that he gives us. But he can do it. He can transform you. He can continue to transform you from however far you've been transformed. And you can say, no, I can't change. No, it's not even sex for me. It's this other thing. But I, I need it. I can't let it go. God can change you. So I just want, as we worship, you're, you're, again, free to go. You're free to pray. You're free to pray this through. You're free to talk to any of us or the elders during the week. You're free to, to set up a Monday prayer appointment. But, um, Lord, we, we just ask for all of us. Transform our hearts, our desires. Give us hope. Help us to discover the truth that you are our greatest joy and that all that we desire is in you release us free us and make that happen amen
Thank you.